to confess our sins to you. It is good to rejoice in the pardon of those sins. It is a, a joy to sing to you, Lord, um, all the glories of the gospel and that you are near us, that uh, as we go through this journey of life and faith and seek to follow you by faith and not by sight. Lord, we thank you that uh, we can look to your word in a few moments. We thank you that we can um, respond through giving and through prayer and through our own fellowships with one another. Lord, that you would help us in these ways to uh, make much of you and be satisfied in you and you alone. Lord, we don't lift up ourselves only, but other churches as well. Lord, we do thank you for churches in this community that are preaching the gospel and wanting to uh, see your gospel go forth. We thank you for Beaver Creek Christian Church uh, this morning and that you'd be with them. And Lord, that we can lift up churches, um, even with differences, Lord, that we can pray for them and they can be encouraged. And Lord, that you would use them in, um, in the, the furtherance of your gospel. So we lift them to you. Father, we lift up our churches in the Reformed Baptist Network. We think of Mercy Baptist Church up in Winchester, Ohio this morning, that you would be with them as they gather together, that you would strongly support them, Lord, and that you would give them all that they need for life and for ministry. Father, we pray for the persecuted church around the world. Lord, your word tells us to pray as if we're in chains with them. And Lord, often uh, we forget our brothers and sisters, and we ask that you would forgive us for that, that Lord, we would lift up our brothers and sisters that are persecuted, whether they're imprisoned falsely or or even justly under their laws in different lands, that, Lord, you would see fit to strongly support each persecuted believer, as we know you do. And, Lord, help them to, uh, to, to win the race, Lord, even if it means that they lay down their lives for the sake of the gospel, that you would help them to be faithful. Father, we specifically lift up the persecuted church in Morocco, in North Africa, that you'd be with them this morning. Father, we think of unreached people groups, that the mission is not yet complete, and while we are called in this part of the world to raise up a new generation of believers and to preach the gospel, we know that's happening in all places. Uh, but we ask that you would take the gospel to uh, the Biaojiao of, of, of uh, China, Lord, that you would uh, bring missionaries to them, to that language group, that, Lord, you would uh, provide missionaries and Bible translators and all that is needed, support staff, uh, to take the gospel to that people group. Oh, God, would you hear their cry? Uh, Lord, that you would call out many uh, from them, Lord. We know that uh, you are doing that, that you will redeem many from every nation, tribe, and tongue, and that gives us the confidence and the surety that we can boldly go onto the mission field uh, expecting great things. Lord, we uh, lift up the um, crises around the world. We think of the Sudan crisis this morning, uh, all that's happening in Khartoum, and many missionaries that um, we all have contacts with there that you would provide and protect, uh, as well as uh, all those evacuating. And sounds like there's such a mess, Lord, and many who have lost their lives, Lord, you would work in that situation. We know that you are providentially working uh, what you would will, but Lord, we ask that you would um, show grace and uh, mercy, that Lord, you would draw many to yourself and be with the church, especially, Lord, in uh, Sudan. Father, we thank you that you war in Ukraine. Continue to pray for your grace there on both sides, Lord, in uh, both Ukraine and in, in Russia, that you would draw many to yourself. We know there's, you, you have your people there, Lord, and that they would minister to those uh, around them in a war zone. Father, for the continued prayers, too, for uh, Turkey and Syria, that you would be uh, with that response, Lord, as many are in crisis or 
uh, really refugees and homeless, that you would provide homes and food for uh, these, um, these desperate people, but also, Lord, that the gospel would go forth and that you would use uh, the church there and missionaries to uh, spread your gospel. Father, we lift up the grieving in our community. Lord, we think of the Brown family this morning, that you would uh, be with them, that, Lord, you would uphold them, that you would help them to call out to you, that you would wrap your arms around them through this community and through uh, their church and um, other churches, Lord, that we would uh, strongly support them following Cade's death. And, Lord, that you would um, just uh, be with them, Lord, and, uh, and comfort them in a way that only you can. Lord, we lift up mourning uh, across the nation for these uh, shootings and other things that have taken place in these communities and uh, those that have experienced natural disasters like tornadoes that um, they're still recovering from. We think of the Florida flooding and tornadoes in the Midwest, Lord, that you would um, be with those families that have lost much and that you, your church would uh, stand up in those areas and, and serve the community. Father, we pray for those who are traveling. We, we think of the Smiths. We think of uh, the Pose will be traveling later today. We uh, thank you for um, giving uh, Kira strength, Lord, as she is um, competing again and uh, has advanced. Uh, Lord, you be with her this week, Lord, as she uh, goes with her team down to uh, Orlando, that you would be with them and that you would provide for uh, these families and, and safety on the road. Lord, we lift up our expectant mothers to you. Um, we, we lift up Kaylee especially um, as she is nearing that date, that you'd be with her and be with Ellie, Lord, as well. And Lord, that you would just give them strength uh, to carry these, these precious children to, to full term. Lord, that you would bring uh, just a, a great delivery with no complications. We pray for both of them and their families. We thank you for uh, these expectant fathers, Lord, that you would prepare them to be the, the dads that you've called them to be. Father, we thank you for our members that are in transition, that you'd be with them. We thank you for uh, what you're doing in their lives. Um, and Lord, we, we pray for your grace in their lives. Uh, Lord, we lift up our former pastors to you, uh, Pastor Kaysen and Quinn, Lord, that you would be with them in this time of transition as well. So God, we, we lift these things to you. Father, finally, we pray uh, too for uh, the church plant down in Wilkes County. We pray that you would uh, help Pastor Tim this morning as he preaches your word and as the saints gather down there, that you would be with them, that you would be uh, their focus, their, your joy, their joy, um, and Lord, that you would encourage them and challenge them this morning. And Lord, as we now look at your word, would you help us uh, as we look at your word and that we not just hear it, but that we understand it and that, Lord, you would help us to put it to action, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning. Trust that each of you are doing well and uh, trust that uh, you're groaning with me that uh, spring has sort of come and then it's hiding again this week, uh, but these... Uh, April showers, as they say, bring May flowers. So we're looking forward to that. If you would turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 12, Genesis chapter 12, we were going to continue our study in um, Genesis 12 and looking at verses 10 through 20. We'll finish chapter 12, Lord willing, today and uh, consider all that the Lord has for us. Would you stand with me as we read God's word together? This is God's word. Now there was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. And when he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, 
I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. And when Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dwelt well, dealt well with Abram. And he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, what is this that you have done to me? Why did you tell me that she was your wife? or that she was your, your wife. Why did you say that she is my sister for, so that I took her for my own wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. This is God's word. May he add his blessing to it. You may be seated. Fear, a distressing emotion aroused by impending danger, evil, or even pain. Whether the threat is real or imagined, fear causes great motivation to take action. And while fear is common to our human experience and can lead us towards courageous action, It can also lead us into great trial and turbulation in the opposite direction than we ought to go. As we know from the life of Abram already, that his life was yielded to God. We saw this earlier in chapter 12 and already building up to this, that Abram was trusting the Lord. He loved the Lord. He trusted him and worshiped him. And we saw that in our text last week. But we also see that a life of faith is one that is a journey, as we talked about last week, and a journey doesn't stay the same. In fact, if you've walked with the Lord long, you know that the journey has its challenges. John Bunyan, in his famous work, Pilgrim's Progress, speaks to this. I highly encourage you to read that as it kind of chronicles the journey of Christian through Uh, the way to the celestial city and all the different things that could happen in a life that is yielded to the Lord. And so as we look at this passage, we consider really the proper situation or the proper responses that we ought to give in situations that we could even be fearful of. In fact, even this past week, we saw several uh, reports of accidental shootings that took place in our country, many of them driven by misplaced fear or a misunderstanding of circumstances? How often do our fears drive us to do things that we ought not to do? Our greatest fears are only squelched by one, and that is our Lord Jesus. He does this, as we know from the scriptures, tell us that perfect love casts out fear, but that is evidenced in our faith. And it's evidence as we turn to the Lord and yield to him on a day-by-day, moment-by-moment basis. Be careful, O Christian, 
to stand on yesterday's successes. Be careful that we stand, take heed, it says, as the scriptures say, take heed lest we fall. As we look at this context, Abram, we see a man of true faith. We know that. Who left all as we saw in the last passage. And notice he left along with all of his people, all of his possessions that were under his charge. And as we approach this text further, we need to be reminded again about God's precious promises to Abram. Remember in verses 1 through 9, there was a four-part promise. And what did he say he was going to do? Ultimately, he's going to make him a great nation. He was going to make his name great, Abram's name. That there was gonna, he was going to use Abram to be a great blessing in the nations. And ultimately, they were going to get a land, which uh, is what we now know as the promised land or present-day Israel. Now, we had one problem that we've seen in the text all the way back to the genealogies we were looking at in chapter 10. And what was that? Sarai was barren. It's very interesting how the focus of the text has come upon Abram's wife. She's mentioned in the genealogy. It mentions her barrenness. And now we get to this promise and we're rejoicing that Abram is following after the Lord. And all of a sudden, it seems like in this text, everything comes to a screeching halt once again. And why is that? It seems like this promise is in jeopardy. Have you ever felt that way? You look at God's word and you know his promises, and yet you look at your life and you're saying, how can this possibly be? And so the promise, is it really in jeopardy? So I think we can relate to Abram's walk of faith here and really even his faltering here as we see in this passage. So I want to look at this testing of Abraham's faith really in four different areas. First of all, we'll see in uh, verse 10 the providential circumstances of this famine. And then secondly, we'll see the, um, a, really the temptation for him to not trust the Lord in his personal well-being in verse 11 through 13. And really, really a focus on possessions more than the Lord in verse 13 through 16, and ultimately um, people that cause us to um, maybe fear, and that is people like Pharaoh that we will see in verses 17 through 20. So rather than surrender all these things to the Lord, which we know that he, in the context of earlier in chapter 12, he did, we see quite a different response of Abram in these ways. And so if we had to say it this way, he came up with a scheme rather than surrender. And so let's take a look at this. Look at, look at uh, verse 10 here. Just by way of connecting this text to the larger context of what we're looking at, I want us to realize here that for those of you that are Bible scholars have noticed that maybe this is a similarity to what happens to Abram in chapter 20, which we'll look at in several weeks let alone it almost seems immediately repeated in Isaac's life in chapter 26. Now, we're not going to go there for sake of time, but it's almost the same outline. In fact, if you read carefully through this text and you look at the players of all that is going on, excuse me, you'll see that this even resembles what was happening to the children of Israel before the Exodus. And this is vitally important for us to understand because really what the writer of Genesis is doing is painting us a picture of what God's redeeming work is going to ultimately be. That the promise, while threatened, he is going to answer. He's going to fulfill it. Now, we look at this 
from 21st century eyes back at the Old Testament and look at this. But church, don't, don't uh, separate yourself so far. We too are awaiting the fulfillment of God's promises. We seem to be crazy people in a world that seems to be going nuts. And we stand around waiting our king to return. We believe that he rose from the dead and he claimed to return. And people laugh at us and say, how in the world do you have hope in that? When Jesus, an ancient man, died and his religion died with him. And yet the scriptures call us to look to God and to follow after him, to trust his gospel and to firmly be rooted in him and to trust him day by day. So as we look at this context, keep that in mind that God is redeeming um, his people and we'll return to this theme again in chapter 20. So just by way of observation, you can look at that in the text. I think that's encouraging for us to see here that this adds to why um, and, and really the meaning of this text. And so through this passage, these parallel passages are constantly mentioning the same things. For those that are interested, if you follow through there, you can see uh, the, the themes of, of uh, power with uh, particularly Pharaoh and Abimelech in chapter 20. Um, you see uh, a, the, the challenge of uh, Moses and, and Aaron before Pharaoh, for instance. But there's always a deliverance. God always comes out on the other end, and God's promises are fulfilled, and any fear of whether the promise would be not fulfilled are squelched. So fear in this sense for Abram, let alone for us, is irrational. It's irrational because we're thinking about what might happen in our lives. How often do we get into a place where we do not trust God as his children when he has a perfect track record, we still don't, for whatever reason, trust him in the circumstances he allows us to enter. So there's clear instruction here from the Lord of these things, even though it's not immediately uh, giving us commands here in a historical text like this. So let's look at the providential circumstances. What are the providential circumstances here in verse 10? Well, it tells us there's a famine in the land. In fact, that's the same in these other parallel passages. God allows circumstantial things to come into our lives, ultimately for his glory, but for his children, it's for their good. In fact, you'll see the narrative of Genesis, God uses famine to drive his people to Egypt. And yes, you know the story, it drives them into slavery. It drives them to cry out to the Lord, and it drives them to look to him with full expectancy that he gets all the glory, he gets them through those trials, and ultimately on the other end, they're entering the promised land as you get into the book of Joshua. That, that was Genesis through Joshua in a nutshell, in a few statements. So it's these providential circumstances that the Lord brought into Abram's life that was the setting of the story. And so look at what Abram does. Now, notice the text is silent here about what Abram, if he did anything else, but it does tell us that Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. Now, if you've been to the land of Israel or any other desert place, it doesn't take long when there is no water for famine to quickly follow. And we 
can see that in the context of this text that the Lord allowed this to happen. And the natural place to go would be to the fertile uh, fields that were watered by the Nile just south of them geographically. It makes the most sense, if you will, the most human, reasonable thing to do. I want to take our attention to that because it's often for the child of God when we're following our rational mindset that it makes sense to do what we're doing. It even seems wise. And yet in the context here, Abram was just going to do this. Now, this is a huge contrast to what we see earlier in verses 1 through 9. And there is a contrast between the first part of this chapter and the second. One is full faith. Lord, I'll go. I don't even know where I'm going. I'm going to go. I'm going to follow you. I'm taking my family. I'm taking my possessions. I'm going to follow you wherever you want me to go. And then we turn this corner and Abram now is worried about his life and his circumstances. Can you relate? I can. Rarely do we have this uh, un, un, unwavering faith that, that is uh, off, not offset. There's often times that the Lord is purifying that, and that is the purpose of this passage, that a life of faith, a journey of faith is full of its ups and downs and its own testings. In fact, we'll see Abraham's faith even tested even further when God asks him to sacrifice his own son, the one who he's been waiting on to be the promise of this fulfillment. And so as we look at this, we see these situations that the Lord has brought him into. Then look at verse 11. It says, when he was about to enter Egypt, so they sojourned down there, he speaks to Sarai, his wife. He says, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance. Now, men, this is a good thing for you to know, to compliment your wife. And Abram gives us a good example here. But Abram's not, you know, throwing smoke here and just telling her that uh, she's beautiful. We know that because in the next few chapters, they go to a foreign country and they're like, yeah, your, your wife is very attractive. And we see this here, that he is talking about his wife's appearance. And this causes concern for him. And yet, I want us to see that he's not just fearful of these circumstances and responding in just a mere, uh, uh, you know, self-focused way, but we see here then, our second point is that he's worried about his own personal well-being. He's worried about his wife. He's worried about his safety. And it goes on further in verse 12. It says this, and when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. So he's, notice his fear here is about something future that hasn't happened yet. So it's somewhat irrational, even though I think he's got a reason for that, which we'll come back to. But then he also makes the assumption and the conclusion, therefore, then when they see me, they're going to kill me, but let you live. In other words, I'm the ugly Hebrew guy. They're going to kill me and take my beautiful wife. And that's what I'm concerned about. Sorry, that's my translation. In verse 13, then, he comes up with his scheme. And notice here, there's no mention of prayer. There's no mention of, God, you promised. You promised that you would make me a great nation. My dear wife has not had a baby yet. And Lord, now there's a famine. And Lord, I'm crying out to you to be my protector, my provider, my hope. Lord, I'm, I'm in dust and ashes. Would you provide? Would you, would you help me? But that's not, that's not the heart condition of Abram here. And I think this is so awesome to see that those who question the scriptures as being authoritative 
or the word of God. It's a great apologetic here because if, if we were going to write a book that was going to be so focused on its truth and to, to combat error, we wouldn't put people's mistakes in there. And we notice here that Abram is just this beautiful example of faith in the New Testament, and yet the struggle of the narrative of Genesis shows us where his faith actually happened and where it grew. Dear church, God brings circumstantial things into our lives providentially in the world around us and into our personal lives and, yes, even into our personal well-being because he loves us because he wants us to look to him as our soul's satisfaction, that he is better to us than a beautiful wife. He is better to us than a wonderful husband. He is better to us than children. He is better to us than wealth. He is better to us than our own health and our own well-being. He's better to us than all the food on the table as the famine shows us here in the context. He is to be valued. The heart of God's people ought to look to him with that kind of satisfaction. Are we satisfied with the living God or are we merely worshiping him because what if he gives us? How often are we satisfied by the things he provides rather than worshiping him as the provider? How often do we take note of his many blessings, including our own salvation, but we leave him to the side to fellowship with another? And so we see here in this context that is not the heart of Abram in this moment of his life. And so he comes up with a scheme at verse 13. He says, Sarai, say that you're my sister and notice that it may go well with me because of you. Now, I'm sure he worries about his wife's safety, but obviously the context there, he's like, ah, you'll be fine. You're pretty. <laughs> That's basically what he's saying and that my life may be spared for your sake. This, he's worried about his life. And so we see here that they go to Egypt. Look at verse 14. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians confirm what Abram knew, and they saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. So that begins uh, the, the conversations. Now, it's funny because we know from the context that Abram knew this. Abram knew his culture, but he also knew the enemies uh, around him. He knew the tribalism. He knew the, the way that people were. And I think this is important for us as children of God that often we know what our culture is like. And oftentimes, we're scared, aren't we? We, we? We're scared of how those circumstances could affect us, whether that be government regulations or oversight, or whether that's our own freedoms that we've questioned in recent days uh, through the COVID uh, era, or whether we are scared in other ways of how the world is going to treat us as his people. But he knew that he could possibly be mistreated. Abram wasn't wrong there. And the text actually validates this. There's almost a, a validation or a reasoning behind why Abram would have been fearful in this way to scheme. But that doesn't excuse the child of God from looking in faith to God in the midst of the circumstances, even though those facts are true. And so these princes see her and uh, they praise her to Pharaoh 
and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And you almost feel this like drooping of the heart here at the end of verse 15. It's like do-do-do as you're thinking about the promise and you're thinking about this is Sarai and we, we know that there's a promise and it's not going to, it's going to be miraculous in how God's going to do this, but Sarai now is captive in Pharaoh's house. Now, we don't have a lot in the text here, but it's interesting how uh, uh, extra-biblical sources talk about Egyptian culture and how often when people did sojourn there, they really were the powerhouse of that time. Egypt was one of the strongest world powers of those days. They had the market, they had the economy, they had the civilization, and it's still existing today. You see the remnants of that. This is why we can go see the pyramids. It's, they were a very powerful people. And God, we know from the scriptures, tells us that he brought this people up for his sake and for his glory. He gave them this power. But we also see here a little bit on how they abused that power in, even with people that were sojourning amongst them and they would take for their own profit whatever really they chose. But notice they're trying to do it in a kind way by blessing Abraham and being kind to him in the context of this text uh, so that, um, that, that he would look favorable upon uh, maybe leaving his sister in Egypt as he went back. But here, look at verse 16. It says here now, and for her sake, he dwelt well with Abram. He had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. So we're not talking a small transaction here. It was, wow, your, your sister is amazing. We want to bless you. We want to be nice to you because of your sister. And so it's going well for him here. Now, we don't know that this was in Abraham's heart necessarily, but it's very interesting that he did say that it would go well with me for your sake and that my life may be spared for your sake in verse 13. So we've looked at the providential circumstances. We've looked at his personal well-being, but fear also drove him to guard his own possessions or to think about how, how his physical blessings in life could be affected by impending fear instead of looking to the Lord and trusting him. Remember, we saw this in chapter uh, 12, verses 1 through 9. He left Ur of the Chaldees by faith, and he took everything with him, including the people and the possessions he had. And if God had done that for him then, why was he going to bring this into question now? Just because there's a famine? Just because God has brought these circumstances into his life? Oh, dear child of God, what is it that the Lord has brought into your life that is challenging your very faith this day? What is it that God has done in bringing you here? Or maybe you are like Abram in verses 1 through 9. And as it's been said before, the child of God is either coming out of a storm, um, just got through one, or you're about to go into another one. That your trials of faith, God is working these things, that God would be your treasure more than anything else. God is a jealous God. He will not compete with anyone else. He is going to burn up everything in your life that he would be magnified, that he would be glorified, that he would be seen as your soul's soul satisfaction. And you don't believe me? Look at the context of the Bible. 
This is his passion because he knows he's greater than anything that we could ever possibly have. And the mere blessings that we experience in this life are just the overflow of how good our God is. In fact, he's even kind to the unrighteous. As we see here in this passage, he's blessed the Egyptians and he even brings them pretty women. Even to the flesh, God is kind even to the worst sinner. This is what we would call common grace. God cares and God is working his will in the purpose of human history. And so right here is Abram selling out just to have earthly wealth. Well, I don't think so. But in the moment, he wanted it to go well with him. And I think this hits home for us, that how is it that we respond to providential circumstances? All of a sudden, the market takes a dip. Oh no, the housing market's dropping. And what do we, how do we respond? Do we respond in faith or do we respond in fear? Does it, does it constantly drive our, our understanding of what God is doing in the world? Or do we submit to him and surrender and say, God, these are your circumstances. We trust you for we are yours. Finally, we see this fear of man here in verse 17. Ultimately, when it comes to the power play, Pharaoh is ultimately in charge. He obviously has ordered that Sarai be taken to his home, and uh, things are going well for Abram. And notice here the text doesn't go into detail, but it says in verse 17, the first time we see um, the Lord show up in this passage, it says, but the Lord... And by the way, that's the, in most of your Bibles, it'll be capital L-O-R-D. That is a covenant name of God, Yahweh. Again, it's screaming out of this passage. It seems like the promise is in trouble, but Yahweh, it looks like there's problems on the horizon, but the Lord. And so in the context here, what does the Lord do? Notice he brings affliction on Pharaoh and his house, and see the parallel here as we see with the, um, in, in the book of Exodus, he got, brought great plagues because of Sarai. It's, it's interesting in the context of Genesis, why didn't the, the Egyptians learn this back in Genesis 12? It would have saved them a lot of trouble by the time they got to Exodus 14, don't you think? Every time a Hebrew comes and visits us, it's trouble. Maybe that's why they put him out in Goshen. I don't know. But we, we know that it was a fertile area later in the context of, of, of Exodus. So great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. He's got another man's wife and he is being afflicted. And we don't know. The text doesn't tell us how Pharaoh got it. But we know later on in these parallel passages, uh, these other men in power had dreams concerning um, what the problem was. But right here in this text, it doesn't tell us what Abram, I mean, how Pharaoh understood this, but Pharaoh calls Abram and he puts two and two together. In other words, God always speaks the language when he's bringing judgment. I find that very interesting. There's not going to be anyone ever surprised at God's judgment. They will know exactly what is coming upon them. The Lord is good. He's like a good father who says, son, I'm about to spank you and here's why. You're getting this discipline because you disobeyed me, and these are the reasons why. And he does this even for in a, a Pharaoh that doesn't serve the Lord. In fact, Pharaohs were worshipped as gods themselves 
But obviously he puts two and two together. He realizes this is the reason this woman in his midst is the reason for these afflictions and these plagues. So look what he says here. He goes in verse 18. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, this, what, or what is this you have done to me? In other words, Abram's lie is made known. Isn't that weird that our fear drives us towards sinful responses to life circumstances? We think that lying or deception is going to save us from those situations rather than crying out in faith to the Lord. In what ways are we tempted to lie or cover up or seek a way out in another way than surrendering to the Lord? And so he says, why have you done this to me? And he follows it up with a second question. Why did you not tell me that she was your, or why did you not tell me that she was your wife? And then he follows it up with a third question. And why did you say she is my sister so that I took her for my wife? Now, there's no evidence in the text that he actually took her as his wife, but he probably was very tempted to put her into his harem. And that certainly would have been a process. And based on the plagues and uh, the, the trouble, it doesn't have anywhere in the text that it says that she became his wife or that he violated her anyway. Uh, the text doesn't say, but it was close. And so it says, now then, here is your wife, take her and go. You can understand Pharaoh's frustration over this. And then we see in verse 20, and Pharaoh gave the men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. Isn't it interesting that at the very beginning of this passage, we start with providential circumstances that are really like looming over a dark cloud over Abram's life, and the results is that ultimately God saw fit to prepare him and to uh, sustain him in the midst of these providential circumstances. God cared for his personal well-being. God cared for his possessions. In fact, he gained wealth by being there. And then fourthly, we know that even people like Pharaoh, as powerful as they were, did nothing to Abram in these circumstances. But the glaring part of this text is that while God is faithful to his promise, Abram was not faithful in looking to the Lord as that promise keeper. And how often in our lives we walk like this. We walk by sight and not by faith. We think that we can respond differently. And the outcome is still the same because of what God is doing in his grace. But how awesome is it that we look in this text and see Abram's lapse of faith. We see this struggle to look to God as protector and provider, as the one who is the one who is going to fulfill his promises. Church, what about us this morning? What is the great fear over your life this morning? Maybe for some of you, it's a health diagnosis. Maybe it's parenting or just end of grade testing. <laughs> Or perhaps it's more deep family troubles, or your business, or whatever the case may be. Is your fear driving you to scheme or to surrender? Ultimately, a life yielded to the Lord looks in faith to Him and doesn't ignore the circumstances, but responds to Him in the midst of them. And so, what about us? Are we 
acknowledging that God uses providential circumstances to funnel us into his presence? Have we ignored him that he is after our well-being? In fact, so much so that we know that even when this life ends because of the due penalty for sin and we close our eyes in death, that resurrection awaits. Is there anyone who cares for us more than the Lord? Why is it that we question that when we get sick? Why is it that we, all that, that we believe and hold to comes into question when we know that we ultimately will die? And we bring that into question knowing that. How often is it that we question the Lord based on fear of loss of, of things that we own or possess or that we're stewards of, that there are times of blessing and times of drought in our lives? And finally, in what ways is the fear of man controlling us that we would be scared to follow the Lord and to trust him in the midst of what these people are doing? Pharaoh, it was that for, for Abram, but who is it for us? Are we failing to trust the Lord because of someone in our life that is seeking to play a power game? Or maybe it's the, our fear of, of our government, or maybe it's a fear of other things that would just put us into a place to be tempted to not trust the Lord and to yield to Him. Church, I want to encourage us this morning that right here in this passage, it just, it's flowing out of this text, is a, is a, a call to come and abide, a call to to have communion with your Lord and to talk to him about all the problems that you indeed are facing. But be assured, O saint, that God is using these things to funnel you to himself. At the end of the day, our journey ultimately is not just to a, a place, yes, to a celestial city, but it's who lives in that place. And if the Christian life for you is all about what you're going to get on the other end, including eternal life, you're going to be sorely disappointed when you get there because you've, you've completely ignored the one who's walking with you all the way. The glories, as Jesus told his disciples, is not just that he's going to prepare a place for them. He says, it's that I might be there with you. And yet the truths of the scripture, even as he sends us out as his disciples to go to the north, the south, the east, and the west, from Judea to Samaria, to the ends of the earth, and the promise there we have in our mission as the church is that he's going to be with us. Even he says, even if they kill the body, they cannot kill the soul, as we sang in our song the, this morning. A mighty fortress is our God. Our enemy can do nothing. He's like a dog on a chain. The victory of the church is secure. There is no other institution on planet earth that is assured victory, but the church has that assurance. Why? Because it is God's plan. It is God's idea. This is his embassy, and he is moving forth with power, and his word will not fail. We will die, and another generation will come behind us, and we see his faithfulness from the text from Abram's time until today that God is faithful. He can be trusted. And therefore, where is our faith this morning? Do we believe that he is able to do through us in our generation what God did in Abram's? The God of the Old Testament is the same as the God of the New Testament. The one who Abram looked to as we looked at in Hebrews 11 last week is the same God that we look to and we look into his faithfulness on the cross when we look back. Church, we are in a secure place. There is nowhere that we can find true solace and peace in a world going ultimately to hell, except in the person, nature, and character of this mighty God. Do you trust him this morning? 
You trusting him with your circumstances? Maybe you're here this morning, you've never fully surrendered to the Lord and said, Lord, I believe your gospel. I'm a sinner and I need a savior. Would today be that day for you to turn to him in faith and repentance and say, oh God, help me not to look at these circumstances anymore. And even to, even I look at my own sin and it's completely burying me, but he is able to lift it with just the mere voice of his son. And so church, as we look at a passage like this, let us see the very fears of the future dissolve as God exuberates or gives us exuberant faith to press on in him and to trust him despite trial, despite providential circumstances, despite our own personal well-being, despite our own possessions or fear of losing them, and regardless of our fear of people, God is able to work these things for his good. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for being so kind to us as to give us a narrative in the Old Testament that chronicles the faith of a man. Really, we've seen this already, Lord, from the beginning of Genesis till now. We just walked through Noah just a few weeks ago and now looking at Abram. These men of faith, these patriarchs, if you will, of the, of the past, Lord, we, we take great encouragement from them, but they're men just like us. These are women just like us that struggled through the details of life and wondering how you are going to accomplish what you say you're going to accomplish. In human terms, it sounds crazy, but Lord, you fulfill these things and you, we know that you have. It's history. It's fact. We, we see your working. And so, Lord, we pray that you would meet us where we need to be personally, that you would meet us in a very personal way in where areas of fear and faith um, come at a crossroads in our hearts. Lord, as a congregation, we pray, Lord, that we would do the same, that we would trust you with the future, that we would not be fearful, but Lord, that we would let that dissolve in your presence. As the hymn says, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of your glory and your grace. Father, I pray for any here that have never um, just accepted you and your great love for them in the gospel, that Lord, you would give them a new heart. Take away their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. Give them new life this day, that they could root it here in the text of Genesis 12 that a man that left all to follow you is what they want to do from this day forward. And Lord, they will not be disappointed because Lord, you are our soul's treasure and our soul's satisfaction. In Jesus' name, amen.